Shalom, shalom, and welcome to another podcast in video of God's Little Hummingbird, the podcast where we are reading through the Bible from the beginning to the end, using the original languages as a guide to better understand scripture. Now, today we begin the book of Leviticus. Many people have not ventured to study this book, and they think it no longer applies, and they are sometimes at a loss to understand because of the language and the word choice and the way things are described or translated. And so we are going to take this first chapter a little bit slower and coordinate it and correlate it with other scriptures in the Bible, just so you get a better understanding. Now, the book of Leviticus is, it often pertains to laws of the, quote, priesthood or the Kohen. And the priests were from the tribe of Levi, so they call us Leviticus. But there's a lot of the book that also just applies to all of the children of Israel. And so one thing to remember is that the Levites are the chosen people of God. Now, if some of you have been listening to this podcast series, you know that I have referenced before the sins of Jeroboam. And we have talked about Jeroboam, who was the first king of the northern tribe of Israel after the whole kingdom of Israel divided into two kingdoms under Solomon's son, Rehoboam. So let me, again, clarify that. Solomon, who was David's son, so there was King David, and then he had a son named Solomon. Solomon sinned, and God said he would give ten of the tribes to a different man, his rival, but that he would retain the the two tribes, so to speak, or it actually ended up being Benjamin, Levi, and Judah, they became named, known as the Jews, and um, there's only counted as two because Levi doesn't have an inheritance or a portion. There's, you know, the um, we read those blessings already, so Levi doesn't get inheritance other than God. Yahweh, his his um, his allotment is the service of God, and so when Jeroboam began leading the northern tribes of Israel after Solomon's son lost the kingdom. And he only retained Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. So the southern kingdom became the Jews. The northern kingdoms of Israel became known as Ephraimites or Israelites. Okay, so you have the Jews and the Israelites at this time. And Jeroboam was the very first leader, and he was an adversary of Solomon. He was the very first leader of Israel or the Ephraimites, and he came from the tribe of Ephraim, who was Joseph's son. Remember, Joseph got the double-born blessing, and it went to his two sons. Remember, Jacob, his father, telling him this. If you've been following with us in Scripture, you will remember this. If not, go refresh yourself back to the story of Jacob blessing Joseph's sons. And I believe that's in Genesis chapters like 46, 47, 48, those last few chapters. Okay, so let's stay focused, I guess, right here on Jeroboam. Jeroboam was the leader of Israel, and one of the sins, it says in the book of the Kings, it says, he made priests from every class of people. And it was a huge sin. He was not supposed to do that. And so the Levites were entrusted with keeping and teaching God's truth. Now, I'm going to say this. We know Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin, and he taught, but he didn't claim the priesthood. He didn't. It's okay for every single one of God's children, I guess is what I'm trying to say, to teach and share and spread the truth. That's not what I'm saying, that you have to be a priest to do that. But when we return to Israel under Jesus, Yeshua, our Messiah, 
the Levites are the ones who will be in charge again of the temple service. And so, yes, some of these laws pertain specifically to those sons of Levi and Aaron, right? Aaron's sons were the high priests. The Levites helped under that high priest service. So yes, some of the laws pertain just to their duties, but I would suggest we should all understand those duties because if we remember the story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back in or trying to bring it back to Jerusalem and he had not read the Torah and how to treat this Ark of the Covenant and so it was not being carried on the Kohathites' shoulders. And so when it was, it was put on an on a cart that oxen were carrying and when it the oxen stumbled and the ark began to fall Uzzah reached out his hand and touched it and he died and David of course was upset and scared but then it says he read in the book of the law and understood God's ways and so I think it's beneficial to every single person of God's people to understand these rules because it specifically says in scripture, when Jesus returns, he will lead us in these sacrifices again and these offerings. And the word offering is just, it means gift. Who doesn't want to give a gift to God? These sacrifices and offerings have been painted in such a horrible way by people who don't understand God's ways. We forget that God specifically says to Pharaoh, let my people go and worship me the way I want to be worshiped, Right. And Moses says, we have to go and offer him these offerings, these korban, because it's how he chooses to be to worshipped. Now then, people ask, well then, I thought Jesus fulfilled this at the cross, and we no longer have to do it. It doesn't say that. What it says is, all these sacrifices point to Jesus' sacrifice. They teach us about the offering that he made to cover our sin. Okay? But it doesn't say that's when they ended. If you look in the book of Acts and you read the the book of Acts 21, let's go there actually right now. We're going to kind of diverge. Like I said, we're going to do a little bit different today. We're going to take a little bit of time here. We're going to look at a story and I'm going to show you in some words that were added in by the Christian translators to try to make it sound like we no longer obey the law. But remember, at this time in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21, the temple still stood the second temple, Solomon's temple that had been cleansed by the Maccabees during the Maccabee, um, the Maccabee revolution, revolution, revolt. Um, Hanukkah is a different thing that was, it's just weird. We're not even going to go to Hanukkah right now, but I know we are not to be celebrating Hanukkah. First of all, there's no temple right now to celebrate. So it's kind of like having a house party for our housewarming or a party for a house that's no longer there. (laughs) Kind of silly, right? But, um, We'll talk about some of those things with Hanukkah and and how the rabbis actually confess that they made up like the tradition of the eight-day oil burning, that they made that up to increase Jewish morale. But we'll get to that later, Um, not today's podcast. But this is talking about when the temple still stood. That was the second temple, not Ezekiel's temple, because we know it doesn't even match description. So we know it was the second temple, and Ezekiel's temple has not yet been built. And we know that Ezekiel was confirmed as a prophet, and we know it will happen. His, the word has come to pass so many things that were in Ezekiel, and we know him to be a prophet of God. So what were the disciples doing? Now, you can read all through Acts, and I'm not going to read the whole entire book, but you'll see many times where they were still going to the temple, 
they were still going there to keep the feast. Um, they were hurrying back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you'll see lots of those references. But for specifically, let's look in Acts 21 right now. And we're going to start verse 17. And when he had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. Now let me point out that word James does not appear in Hebrew, and it is not the word James. It is the word Jacob, Yaakov. So when the translators, and this is historical documented fact, when the translators translated this Bible to honor King James, who commissioned them to create a, a, a translated version, um, they changed the word Jacob to James to honor him. So the word James is not a biblical name. It was the word Yaakov or Jacob here, and that is historical, extra-biblical proven facts. So look it up for yourself if you don't believe me. Verse 19, when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. Did you hear that? People turning and believing in Jesus were still zealous for the law. In fact, please look this up, but the person who laid hands on Paul to receive his sight, Ananias, it says he was a man devout according to the law. Hmm. Are we starting to realize here that the law wasn't a bad thing? And there's a difference between God's laws and those of Judaism. Because God's laws are the ones that we find in the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, whereas Judaism has a whole other book called the Talmud, that has a whole bunch of laws they started to compile while in the Babylonian exile that they added in. God didn't say. So notice here, <laughs> these Jews are devout. And this is a good thing. Nobody condemns them for being such. And it doesn't matter just that they're Jews. Remember, we have been reading in Scripture from the beginning how it said any Gentile that wants to follow God, just keep his commandments. We've told, I've pointed those verses out from the beginning. And if you haven't been following, please go back and listen. But this is important to note. Let's keep reading. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. Now, this means the, the law that Moses brought, Genesis to Deuteronomy. Saying that they not, ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Now, this is the Nazarite vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses. I hate that they changed the translation here. It literally is saying, go offer the sacrifice, offer the offering for them. Because this Nazarite vow, go back and read it. We're Actually, we're going to get there. I think it's something in the book of Numbers. We're going to get there where it describes the Nazarite vow. It is accompanied by sacrifices. This is after Jesus rose from the dead. Many years after Jesus rose from the dead. They are still offering sacrifices offerings, burnt offerings on the fire. <laughs> okay. Verse 24 again, take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing or not true, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Did you hear that? Go pay their vow so that they will know that you yourself walk orderly and obey the law. Remember in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter warns us that the unstable people twist Paul's words to their own destruction because they do not understand what he's saying. 
And I promise you, if you are believing that Paul said not to obey God's law, you are lying and being deceived by Satan because you are twisting his words to your own destruction because you don't understand everything. If you understood Genesis through Malachi, then you can understand what Paul is teaching. But if you begin to start reading only Paul's writing without understanding what he's describing, it doesn't make sense to you and you twist it. But we will get there and I will go through it with you. And if you have questions, please reach out. Because on first glance, like the book of Galatians, if you are a Christian who doesn't understand the Torah, it is very confusing. And it seems to almost say that he's telling them not to be circumcised, which is, again, what this verse is dealing with. And like, no, 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 I'm not saying that. What he was what he was actually saying in the book of Galatians, and we can go through that later, but he literally was saying, you are saved before you obey, and you don't have to become a Jew. And if you start looking in the book of Galatians, you'll realize that they're talking about circumcised as a group of people versus uncircumcised being the Gentiles. And if you look closely, you will see that's what we're talking about. And it's not that he was against the act of circumcision. He was against them saying you had to be circumcised and become a Jew to be saved. That was the dilemma. And right here in Acts 21, verse 24, he has to prove to them that he himself walks orderly and obeys the law. Now let's read the next verse because the translators took great liberty to deceive people with the next verse. So let's look at what it reads and then let's look at what God says what it really says, okay? Verse 25, but concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Okay, it doesn't say that. That's what it reads. But if you look at the little number one there before the word that, all those words were added in. Here's the words that were added in that were not in the original NU text that they should observe no such thing except. Now, let's reread it as it's written and point out a few things. Verse 25 again. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Okay, those four laws come from Leviticus 17 and 18. They are called the heart of Torah to Jews. Those four laws were necessary for entrance into God's presence. And let me go to Acts 15 really fast. Let's turn over there. I'm going to show you something here. In Acts 15, they do some of the same translational errors, but it's the same message being um, sent here. Um, Let's start in verse 18. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those who, those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. So they're turning their lives over to God. They're accepting salvation. But that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. Because Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Now they translate it sometimes as the word for there, but it's also the word because. And what they're saying is, you can't, these new Gentiles are turning to God. They aren't going to learn everything immediately. So begin with these four laws. And let me point out to you, the Christian church doesn't even obey these four laws. So if they say, 
and use this verse out of context and say, look, these are the four laws for the Gentiles. Come right back at them and say, then why don't you obey those four laws? And I will, pro- I will prove to you they don't obey those four laws. Because the things polluted by idols are anything like Christmas, Easter, Valentine's Day, birthday parties. All of those holidays were originally in honor of pagan demons. I'm not even going to say the word gods with them because they're not gods. But they are pagan. They're false gods, okay? They are demons. And we are to refrain from that. In fact, Galatians chapter 4 says, Now that you know God, do not turn again to days and holidays and, and observing these things that were not of God. And we know that the law is of God. And all of his holidays were of him, and they teach about Jesus. So we know it has nothing to do with his holidays. It is talking about the wicked, demonic holidays of the world. He goes, don't, don't be defiled by them. They're polluted by idols. And that's what Paul goes through. We know that that demon's nothing, but for the conscience of the unbeliever, we need to not partake in these things. And if you, haven't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we'll get there. <laughs> but there is a verse in the Bible where he's talking about those things. And so... Here it's saying, again, in Acts 15, it says, for the Gentiles that are coming to God, here's, we aren't going to, we're not going to trouble them, but here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with these things because Moses is being preached every Sabbath. They're going to go to the synagogue and they're going to learn every, they're going to learn about the law of Moses. But let's start with these four things because they can't even enter the assembly with all the pollution on them and the uncleanness on them unless they turn from these four things. Doesn't that make sense over here? as we're in Acts chapter 21. It doesn't say that those are the only four laws because it doesn't even say to not um, be homosexual, to not, well, I guess that would be in sexual morality, but it doesn't say about anything about honoring your mother and father. It doesn't say anything about tithing. It doesn't say anything about resting on the Sabbath, right? And so these Christians get themselves caught because they say we have to obey the Ten Commandments, but yet then they say, no, we only have to obey these four things. Do you see that doesn't make sense? You can't speak out of both sides of your mouth. God says in Malachi, he is not a man that he should change and he's never going to change. So he didn't change his mind. He didn't change the law. And so when we're looking at these sacrifices, we need to realize here's Paul going and offering these offerings. And you'll look through the book of Acts now and you're going to see so many examples of them continuing to offer sacrifices and going to Jerusalem for these feasts after Jesus died. So what happened? Why don't we have the temple right now? If you read Lamentations chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it specifically talks about God judging us for our sin, the, the children of Israel. And remember, there's only 12 tribes going into the New Jerusalem. So even if you're a Gentile, it says you become as a native born. We've read those verses over and over. Ezekiel chapter 47 has it. We read it in Exodus. So remember, you are no longer to be treated as a Gentile. If you become God's child, you are an Israelite. You were to wrestle with God and overcome, okay? And so he kicked us out of the land and spurned his temple, took away and spurned his altar, took away his sacrifices from us, and basically put us in time out. And if we get there, we're going to read to, um, we're going to read through this Torah. Remember, Leviticus and Deuteronomy have a lot of the curses that are kind of come upon us and our ancestors, that did come upon our ancestors when we didn't obey his law. And we got kicked out of the land and we lost it. So it is not a blessing to not be in Jerusalem. But it was the way through which he was going to reach the seed of Abraham to every nation. He used our shortcomings and our sin to fulfill his purpose and his plan. And through imperfect people, he's working a perfect plan. 
It doesn't mean that that now we can just do sacrifices here. It doesn't mean that those who worship in spirit and truth can do make replacement ceremonies. That's not at all what it's talking about. What it's talking about is once we're here in these distant lands, we turn our hearts back to him and we repent and we cry out for restoration and he's going to bring us back to him. And let's keep proving these things that I'm saying that are not taught in the church. So we got scattered out of the land of Israel. Everybody knows that. The, the 10 northern tribes of Israel got scattered by the, um, got captured by the Assyrian army in 730, about approximately 730 BC. The tribe of Judah continued to stay in the land, um, even when um, Sennacherib came against the um, Hezekiah. We read that in Isaiah and in the Chronicles and stuff. When he came against Hezekiah, Hezekiah cried out to God and Judah was saved. But Judah did get sent to Babylon for 70 years, but they got to return. But the sins of the northern tribes of Israel were so great because they had worshipped outside of Jerusalem in, in ways they weren't supposed to. They made replacement ceremonies, made classes, made people priests from every class of people, and were just completely ignoring God's laws. So they got scattered and taken captive by the northern um, kingdom of Assyria and scattered throughout all the world. So again, like I said, this actually is going to work out because it's spreading God's truth <laughs> to all the nations, it said his seed, his zarah, his sperm, went to all the nations, which is, was prophesied. But it's also, we're in punishment. We're in time out. We got kicked out of the promised land because of our disobedience. Our, our fathers did. And so we're suffering for their choice. And we'll get to Ezekiel, but it does talk about the 2,730 years. Because if you take Ezekiel's lane on his side times seven for the northern tribes of Israel, you'll see that it ends up exactly around the year 2000, right around the time Two house movement was starting. The Hebrew roots movement gained momentum and people were turning back to Torah. Okay, so those are so many side notes, but I just want to point out that I'm not just completely making this up and the scripture all does prove this stuff and continue to say these things, which I'm saying. But so going back to why we don't have the temple now and the sacrifices, because God got mad at us. We sinned. And if you read, now let's go to Daniel, and I'll continue to prove this. So that was Lamentations chapter 2. But now let's go to Daniel. And I'm turning there as you guys are too. Sorry, I don't, I should mark my Bible, but I just don't. So let's go to Daniel chapter 9. And I want to point out this verse. This is talking about the Great Tribulation period in the last week. Okay, it talked about the pre from the 62 weeks and the seven weeks, and then there's a final seven. And, and it's the word week that they translated it as in English, but it's just a word seven or like a week because there's seven days in a week, so it just means kind of a completed period of seven. So this is going to be seven years. Verse 26, let's read it. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come. Now that prince is the bad one. That's not Jesus Yeshua because Yeshua, our prince, was just cut off. But remember the prince of the air, we're told is Satan and he's the one working. Okay, so let's continue reading. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed the temple and the sanctuary. We don't have time to go into it today, but there are so many scriptures talking about the great harlot sitting on the city surrounded by seven hills, which of course we know is the Vatican. We know the Romans in 321 AD formed the Catholic Church. No, it didn't start with Peter, people. Read history. <laughs> um, we know that the Catholic Church began in 321 AD under Constantine. 
and the Council of Nicaea. And we know that they are the ones who destroyed, sorry, they destroyed the temple and the altar and did all sorts of bad stuff. And so that is not a good thing. We're told about the great harlot in the end times that she adopts Babylon's traditions. Well, did you know the Catholic um, leader wears the, um, on his head, he wears literally the symbol of the Babylonian god named Dagon on his head. That vicar is, was actually from the Babylonian religious gods ceremony. Sunday was the Babylonian day of worship that they adopted. Easter is the name of a Babylonian goddess. The Bible says Jesus rose on feast of first fruits. And um, Christmas was a Babylonian holiday called the feast of Saturnalia. And I could go on and on and on. You should read Hislop's Two Babylons if you're interested in more. But the point being, in Revelation, it tells God's people to come out of Babylon, lest we be destroyed in her mists. Here we're told the people who destroy the temple are of the wicked prince to come. It's of the false prince. Because Jesus never would have destroyed the temple. <laughs> that temple, he was, he's going to come and reign in it. We're going to read that in Ezekiel. So we know this is bad. And this is 70 AD when this is all happening. So we're getting some really strong clues here that maybe this Catholic, or quote, the word Catholic means universal. Maybe this faith isn't, <laughs> isn't so good after all, right? Um, I don't see a Catholic gate going into heaven, by the way. Uh, I see a... The 12 tribes of Israel, so we better get out of our religious systems. Just a little side note again. Okay, so who destroyed, who was allowed to destroy the temple? Those who are functioning in the spirit of the Antichrist. And remember, in the New Testament, it already says the work of the spirit of the Antichrist was already at work. But John already said that. And so God let it be destroyed. And in Lamentations 2, he talks about he spurned it because of our disobedience. So he let it be taken from us as a timeout. And we were supposed to be Zephaniah. Sorry, I'm trying to juggle too many things. Zephaniah chapter 3 literally says we're supposed to mourn for those feasts. And you think about it. When you discipline a child and you put them in their room, they're supposed to mourn that time and mourn for what their actions cost them. Whether it be time playing with their favorite toy or time playing outside, they are to mourn for their actions. And we got cast out of the promised land. We are not in a land flowing with milk and honey. We are in a pretend free land that is actually ruled by, ruled by great tyranny that is not obedient to God's ways at all. This is not the promised land, people. Wake up. This is not the promised land. And we are to be mourning for God's ways to return and crying out and repenting of our father's sin. If you read the book of Nehemiah, you read the book of Ezra, you read the book of Daniel, what did they do? They confessed the sins of their fathers and they repented and they pled with God to restore things. That's what we're to be doing. Okay. Now, if you continue to think, well, we don't have to do the sacrifices anymore. I don't care if they did them for 70 years. We don't have the temple anymore. Yeah, we can't do them because you're right. We already read in Deuteronomy. Um, we well, no, we didn't read that together yet. We'll get there. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, 16, 18, when it's talking about these things, it specifically says to only do these sacrifices in the land of Jerusalem, at, in, in, the, in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem, where, the God, where God puts his name. We know that. We know this is a punishment, so we can't just make a replacement ceremony because that's what... If, um, that's what Jeroboam did, and he got in trouble and caused all of Israel to lose their inheritance, the ten northern tribes. So what are we to do? We're to be crying out 
praying for the restoration of God and asking him to come and restore us. And let's prove that again. Let's prove this. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 14. And this goes in line with what just finished last week. Um, Last week was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And many people try to make replacement ceremonies wrong, wrongly and incorrectly because God specifically says we're to wait until we return. We talked about that. And here's another proof. Because in Zechariah chapter 14, it specifically says, if you don't go to Jerusalem for this feast, you're not going to get rain. So you can't do it in America. You can't do it in Oklahoma. You can't do it in Texas. You can't do it in Florida. And worshiping in spirit and truth means you should be worshiping in spirit and truth in truth, in truth, in truth. Don't forget that part. So we might worship God and honor him on these Sabbaths and these holidays, but you can't make a replacement ceremony because the truth was already there that said, don't you dare make a replacement ceremony and you wait until you return. And in Zechariah chapter 14, it specifically says, um, sorry, I got to find the verse. I guess I should have this marked. I just always know where it's at. Um, verse 16, Zechariah 14, verse 16. This is after the tribulation, after that great, great battle. Okay. And you can, if you don't believe me, just read the rest of the chapter. Verse 16, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem. Okay, that should be proof right there when this time is. Remember the great battle of Armageddon is he brings all nations against Jerusalem. So everyone who's left will go up from year to year to worship the king, Yahweh Sevaot, and we're, that's Lord of hosts. We're told that's Jesus' name when he returns. And to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Where did we go year from year? Jerusalem, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's keep reading. What's going to happen if we don't? And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, Yahweh Sevaot, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt, which will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which Yahweh strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Hmm. So where are we going to go when we get to do this feast again? To Jerusalem. To the promised land. Even those nations that that didn't get to go back. Remember in Ezekiel chapter 47, it shows how we are going to divide the land again under Jesus' reign. And it says, you know, and it's obviously never been divided that way. It's never, we know it hasn't happened yet. It's during the millennial reign when Jesus returns, his people divide up the land again. Ezekiel chapter 47, the last two verses specifically say any Gentile that comes with his people now becomes a blood Israelite and gets a portion of land in whatever tribe they choose to sojourn with. It's awesome, guys. It's awesome. There's no going to be no separation. Jew or Gentile. We all have one faith, one way, one law, one God, one hope, one salvation. And we're going to understand that. And right here it says we're going to go to Jerusalem. So how are we going to do that? If these people preach there's no more temple, there's no more law, there's no more stuff. Well, let's go to Ezekiel and let's just read something. I want to just point out Ezekiel 45. Like I said, I know, and I'm going to have to Cut it short here because I could go on for hours. Um, that's why it's so important you know the whole Bible so you see how it all goes together. And don't let anybody twist things. Don't you twist things to your own destruction. But I just want to point out here, in Ezekiel chapter 45, let's start in verse 18. And we talked about this two weeks ago. But it says, Thus says Adonai Yahweh, In the first month, on the first day of the month, you shall take a young bull without blemish and cleanse the sanctuary. 
Okay. Everybody talks about the Antichrist in the end days, in the tribulation period, sets up a, an abomination in the, in the um, temple and defiles the altar. That means we have to have another temple, right? <laughs> so we're going to have this third temple that's going to be defiled. But after the tribulation, if you read Genesis chapter, if you, I'm sorry, Ezekiel, start in, verse, start in chapter 38, and you're going to see this battle with Gog and Magog and this great Armageddon battle. And right here, it talks about it. In the first month, on the first day, you shall take a young bull without blemish and cleanse the sanctuary. Remember we just talked about that in the last podcast? We talked about how, um, we talked about how the tabernacle being erected in the wilderness was cleansed on the first day of the first month. And here, when Jesus returns after the tribulation, we're going to cleanse the temple on the first day of the first month. I love it. I love it. And who leads us in this? If you read this, I promise you won't miss it because it calls him our King David. And we know David, David is dead, right? King David's dead. But we know that this is a prophetic Jesus. And it talks about him being the priest and the king. So we know it's Jesus and Yeshua. And I just say Jesus for those of you who don't understand Yeshua's name, just to help you a little bit. But right there, we're going to cleanse that temple. And then if you keep reading, hey, guess what, guys? We're going to be offering these sacrifices again. It says it right here. And in fact, when I first came to obedience to the Bible in 2002, we were fellowshipping with some people. And I had been reading my Bible. And I said, it says right here we're going to be doing the sacrifices. Because I had always been taught in church, we will no longer, there's no more sacrifices. But at that point, I was beginning to understand we only lost God's ways because of our sin. We had literally the curse, the curse that was told that was going to happen to us is that we were going to do pagan practices, eat unclean foods, and be scattered to the nations and do unclean, filthy things until we understand our wretchedness. So these Christians who pretend that it's freedom and it's a good thing that we don't obey the law, they're actually celebrating the curse. But once you turn to God, he removes that curse from you and helps you to see. It specifically says in the New Testament, when they turn to God, the veil that was on Moses is lifted from their eyes and they understand it. So if you turn to God in truth, you will understand the law of Moses, how it's just life to us. It's not our salvation. We were already saved. And then we learn how to please God. Oh my gosh, I hope this is making sense to you guys. And I know I, I jump around and my mind, if you could be in my mind, is probably a very scary place. It goes so fast. <laughs> but, but connecting this all together is so important for you guys to see so nobody can deceive you and tell you that this no longer stands. The reason we don't have a temple is because of our sin and our father's sin. And he's coming back, guys. He's coming back to reign as king on earth and he will restore this worship system. Because it's the way he wants to be worshipped. He said that all the way back in Exodus. So if you read Ezekiel 38 to the end, I promise you, you're going to see what I see. The third temple is beautiful and Jesus reigns in it. It's after the tribulation. And here, we're shown right here, he cleanses it. Okay, so now, does this apply to you? Absolutely. And even though, even though Leviticus chapter 1, we cannot physically do it right now. We can learn about how all of these sacrifices always point to Jesus. And we can learn about what it's going to look like when he returns. Now, I will point out, I don't believe the sin offerings will have to be offered anymore for us. Because it specifically says, those who are left of his people will have sin no more. So, remember, 
we are still in sin and under the curse. And people who say we're no longer under the curse of, uh, in that capacity don't understand because we still die. And what does it say? Death is the first, death is like the first curse we received. So they just, people can twist scripture all they want, but they really need to listen to this and, and see how this is, the story is about mostly right now we need to return our hearts to God Remember his ways. And this is this whole Bible is a picture of the whole story of redemption and salvation and restoration. So Jesus is coming back and he's coming to reign with the Torah as his guide. Remember Isaiah 2 says that, Isaiah 65 or 66 says it, that the law will go forth from Zion when he returns. The law is the word Torah, their teachings and instructions. And he is going to teach us how to obey Moses in truth and spirit. Yay, Moses and Elijah. So now, 36 minutes into this podcast, <laughs> let's get to Leviticus chapter 1. And with an open mind, understanding that this is a prophecy, a picture of Jesus, and that this is again what we need to understand when he returns. And again, couple this with Ezekiel. You know, in those chapters, exactly 45, 46 and stuff, they talk about this stuff particularly, but 38 to the end in total, you'll see some amazing pictures. Okay, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. Now Yahweh called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering or korban, a gift, to Yahweh, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. So remember, offerings began way back with Abel and Cain. Remember? Abel brought his animal and Cain brought of the field. Cain didn't give him his best. Abel did. But offerings were right from the beginning. It's It's natural to want to give thanks to God and give him something and bless him. It's natural to want to do that for your own parents. It's natural to want to do that for your children. Okay. If his offering or his korban or his gift is a burnt sacrifice, an ola, of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle meeting before Yahweh. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering. It will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. So the atonement, remember, is covering. So if you feel guilty or you're, you're pleading with God or you've gone through maybe a sinful period or, and you need cleansed or forgiven, you put your hand on this bowl, confess your sin, your strength is killed, it is all burned up, and what remains is just a pleasing aroma to God, you laying down your life for Him. And ultimately, who did that fall upon? Jesus. We confess our sins on Him. We die so He can shine through us. Verse 5. He shall kill the bull before Yahweh and the priests. Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around the altar that's by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that's on the fire upon the altar. And he shall wash its ent- But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice and a rom- an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to Yahweh. So soothing aroma. He loves the smell of the barbecue. <laughs> right? It's going to be burnt up. And he loves the smell of you surrendering your life fully to him. He loves when you lay down your life. And you lay down your pride and your strength and you submit to him. If his, so let us burn up so he can shine. Okay. If his offering is of the flocks of the sheep or of the goats as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. He shall skin it on the north side of the altar before Yahweh and the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. And of course the blood is the picture of atonement is showing us here's this blood that's poured out for us that brings atonement, brings covering 
brings forgiveness. And that's only through the blood of Jesus. That's why these sacrifices are offered year after year after year. But Jesus only had to die once. But he didn't stop. The sacrifices didn't stop when Jesus died. That's what we just pointed out in Acts. They continue to offer him, and we will continue to offer him. It was a prophecy and a picture. We didn't, con- we didn't stop being baptized just because Jesus got baptized and said, let all righteousness be fulfilled. Now we continue to do an act that he did because it teaches us how to be cleansed from our sins. It's an act of being born again. Okay, verse 12. And he shall cut, in- cut it into pieces. I'm sorry. I'm going to start again. And he shall cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. So it has to be just kind of cleaned off and then offered. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to Yahweh. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to Yahweh is of the birds, which you would bring more if you're poor, because you can't always... If you understand how expensive livestock is, you understand. So God gives provision for all classes of people, but you got to give what you can. Don't hold back. And if the burnt sacrifice of his offering to Yahweh is of the birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out of the side of the altar, and he shall remove its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it at its wings, but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that's on the fire. It's a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to Yahweh. So this is you giving to God, laying down your life, what you can, what you have, what's, what you're able to do. And it's the whole thing is burnt up. On this one, we don't, nobody eats. Okay, so the sons of Levi don't eat this. The sons of Aaron don't eat this. This is completely burned up. So I hope that makes sense. And God says it's a soothing aroma and it's to teach us, I think, a few things. Because I think it's to teach us about pouring out ourselves, laying down our lives. It teaches us about who Jesus is and what his, what his offering cost us and how much his blood cost. I mean, it was expensive. His blood was poured out so that we could be forgiven and receive atonement or kippurim, covering. And then he makes it, though, he also meets you where you're at. I love that picture where... If you can offer a, a bull, offer a bull. If you can offer only one of your flock, offer your flock. If you can do a, a turtle dove or a pigeon, that's what you do. Do what you can. And the turtle dove and pigeon, I really like that picture because um, pigeons, the doves, they have single eyes and they are always, they have one mate for their whole life. And there's so many beautiful pictures in the dove. The peace, the, you know, after the um, God's peace with man, after the flood. We see the Book of Song of Songs talking about dove's eyes being the faithful eyes. And so here, you know, it's, it's, they're giving everything they can if they're poor. This is what they have. And I think it's like in their faithfulness, in their dove's eyes on God, their singular, singular focused eyes on God, they're just laying down everything before him, confessing their sin, laying it down. And typically, the poor of the people are more humble than the rich of the people. And so... That's what I see in that. I could be wrong, but I just see some of those things. Okay, that has been a long podcast. Thank you guys for staying with it. If you have questions, please, please, please message me on Facebook. And I love you all. And I pray you have a super blessed day. And I just enjoy the Sabbath. We're getting snow up here. (laughs) So if it's cold where you are, huddle up. Love you all. Have a blessed day.